Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Catherine Reitman, an actor you may know from Family Guy, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Blackish, or any of a dozen other projects. She's also the creator and star of Workin' Moms, which returns for its second season on CBC tonight, Tuesday, January 9th at 9.30 p.m. Catherine picked Mean Girls, the beloved 2004 high school comedy in which Lindsay Lohan plays the ultimate outsider teen, Katie Heron, raised in Africa by her zoologist parents, newly arrived and utterly hapless in suburban Illinois. Katie's tentative exploration of the North Shore High School leads her to fall in with the Plastics, a superficial trio of alpha teens with the power to elevate or destroy her. Tina Fey's script infiltrates the John Hughes high school movie model and explodes it, offering endless opportunities for a perfect cast that pairs emerging stars like Rachel McAdams, Amanda Seyfried, and Lizzie Kaplan with a murderer's row of comics like Anna Gasteyer, Amy Poehler, Tim Meadows, and Fay herself. It's a little nothing of a studio comedy that turned out to be an all-timer. This is someone else's movie. Yeah, Mean Girls is one of those movies, you know, I grew up basically watching everything my brother watched. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I watched uh, Clockwork Orange at, like, a really young, inappropriate age. And uh, to be honest, I was, I was between two movies for you today. I, was, I, I love the movie Thelma Louise. I remember watching that and being, like, feeling pivotal. But Mean Girls was the first movie where I thought, unlike some of my other favorites of that era, like the, the Cluelesses, and, yeah. where Tina Fey handled the subject matter, which is just high school girls, in such a clever way that I, my sort of my world opened up as far as what you were allowed to speak intelligently about. Okay, yeah. That you were allowed to handle silly subject matter in a really witty way was really exciting for me. Yeah, I was, I was surprised, not that you picked it, it's a, I mean, it's a great choice, period. But I'm always surprised when I look back on, on the movie and realize, oh, that's right, this was based on a, like a sociology text. It's, yes. It's not a narrative project. But sometimes the most interesting stuff comes out when an author just has two or three insights that a screenwriter can expand. I mean, just the whole concept of Queen Bees and Mean Girls. Yeah. It, it's amazing how primal that notion is and how the film doesn't really... I mean, it feels like a time capsule, but not of 2003, 2004. It feels like a time capsule of high school, of every high school. It feels ever. like a Jane Goodall... Kind of. I mean, that's... Documentary on female apes in the wild. Right. And that, well, that's part of the, the Absolutely, gimmick, too. Absolutely, yeah. Right? The that, Africa. That Lindsay Lohan is our, is our interloper. Yes. Our observer, but... And also happening to be a homeschooled girl from Africa. Mm-hmm. Oh, who, yeah. No, they make that comparison very clear. Yes, yes. There's no, no doubt there. Yeah. But it's such a big leap. Like, imagine starting a screenplay like that. Imagine just saying, oh, well, here's the story. She's not just homeschooled. She was raised among the most inappropriate sort of, you know, she only knows the animal kingdom. She doesn't know people at all. I guess I, that to me feels more common. Uh-huh. Like in my experience as pitching as a screenwriter, there always seems to be a high concept hook applied to things to make it, God forbid, we just trust. That's why I think I've always usually fall in love with such simple indie movies about young girls or, uh, you know, slice of life films. This is such, This feels like 
there's this high concept idea, which is, yes, she's from Africa. Yes, she's this interloper. But it's also done like the thing we love about it is just once we're in the meat and potatoes of this clique of the plastics and how they how they zing each other, how mm-hmm. they interact. Yeah. And she just and ultimately, yeah, she just wants to belong. Yeah. And that's utterly universal. Yes. And at that point in her career, Lohan was like, she's so good. Like, oh, it's such she, a great moment. She's not just really good, but she's naturalistic. She's perfectly placed. She gets the vibe. She can turn on the irony and turn it off again. And, and she looks healthy, right? It's like yeah. Lindsay Lohan pre-crazy social media like downfall. Well, she's a kid, right? Like She looks like a kid. A kid with a fantastic rack. Well, well, I'm almost 50 and I'm not allowed to comment on these things from an external perspective. Very also, I know it's creepy and weird but to, yeah. uh, to, to be doing that, but uh, not not you, me. Uh, Zero well, the, judgment here. Oh, no, I'm judging plenty for both of us. The, um, the, the, the approach the film takes towards female beauty, towards idealized shapes, towards all of that is also time-honored, right? Like, it comes through every high school movie. It's all about feeling like you need to look good to belong and accept... I mean, every high school movie is ultimately about being yourself, right? And accepting who you are. Right. Uh, except for Heathers, which ends very badly for those people yes. who do. And um, in Mean Girls, it uses Lohan... Like, she's sort of... Despite having been, you know, Africa for, this, for the purposes of the plot, she's got this kind of home-scrubbed, clean, all-American look that clashes in a really interesting way with the, the plastics because they're, right. by definition, trying too hard right. to, to make themselves up and look different. And so once Katie starts to be corrupted, mm. it plays in a really interesting way. And it also now you can't think about Lindsay Lohan's subsequent life. Right? The next five years of her life were kind of a tabloid nightmare. And yeah, it's ironic, isn't it? It's weird. It's one of those things where, I mean, there are almost no good stories about child actors coming through at the other side. There aren't, and I think it's such a great example of what we take away once we're at home, once Mark Waters is through editing it and polishing it through post, and we get that perfect candy-coated message, Mm. you know, to be yourself, is that the acting experience when you're on these sets, the communal feel that we're experiencing is not what they see. Look, other than Lindsay Lohan, you know, the entire incredible SNL cast that's in this movie probably didn't even interact very much. They're all in their secluded little scenes. The messaging itself is all sort of, you know cut together in the end so even though we come out of that movie saying god why do i fucking try so hard and the truth is it's so like laughable trying to be someone who are not and look how it ended up for regina george you know, hit by a bus but that's not what Lindsay lohan clearly uh that wasn't her takeaway right and and yet you know she seems to have rebounded it's there was a screening two years ago at Harborfront of mean girls uh for pride week yes you can sit with us became the immediate Slogan that year. Yes. And she did a, a Skype in or something from, I think she was in did London. She read a, did she read the role of Katie? No, no. She she just said hi to people, basically. Right. And the, the, the love for that moment was, I mean, I saw, I wasn't there. I, I, I wasn't able to stay, but there was a, I saw the video of it afterwards and people were just so delighted and it was, they're still, like, it's become part of her redemption story now. Well, and like it's... she it, made it back out. Totally. And I think the difference between her and someone like, um... Paris or even Britney is that there's, you know, we love to watch, we love to eat up these stories of downfall. But in fact, I think all of us have so much compassion and fear inside that like somehow it's some version of us. Mm. Like if we were in that boat, what would happen to us? And, and Lindsay, unlike them, 
was this like, I mean, The Parent Trap, another movie I could have easily chosen, yeah, yeah. was this just like exceptional little movie where she played twins, one with an accent, at a very young age. Yeah. I mean, this was a really talented, bright young girl who just got completely pulled to the dark side. Yeah. And the um, she was our Darth Vader for a second. It's, you know? it's so weird because you know you see it happen over and over again. It's a cyclical thing that the the the, the media feeds on. Right. And we're sort of seeing it now. We're hoping, like the British press is hoping that Meghan Markle breaks a heel or something. I hope so she wins. I hope she doesn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's vile. And yeah. Mean Girls even sort of comments on it in a weird way with what happens to Regina with. Um, with the power bars or whatever else, there's the cake bars, whatever they're supposed to be, that the the sense of high school being that that incubator of people waiting for other people to fail just so they can feel a little bit better about themselves. I mean, you see it in what Lizzie Kaplan does. You see it in all the... Oh my God, Lizzie Kaplan in a completely different chapter of her life yeah, as well. and she's fantastic, right? She's like, brilliant. She's got so much confidence and, and so much... I'd want another movie to be about her. You, right, mean, just a spin-off of her character. Yeah. Well, there's actually no one in this film who does a bad job. I was going to say, it's just... It's kind of an amazing little time capsule of all these performers. I mean, Amy Poehler as the mother with the yeah. nipple constantly being chewed on by the chihuahua. Yes. The Which cool mom. Apparently is a hot dog bit that she stapled onto her, her Brilliant. shirt. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Everybody is, like, everybody is stepping up. Nobody, nobody whiffs it. Even Tim Meadows in the sort of generic Tim Meadows authority figure role is just so weird and, and quietly yes. odd. Uh, and then the kids are the kids are great. Like that's Rachel McAdams. She's Rachel McAdams and Amanda Seyfried, who almost played the opposite. Yeah, race. I know those stories are always so I love that. weird. When you I hear love those stories. Like, what did you actually read for? Yeah, and how it turned out. Like, can you imagine if those roles were swapped? Yes, and this I can. is right and before it, Rachel McAdams exploded. Yeah, and I think Rachel McAdams would have killed it. Right, like she would have been like Seyfried would have been good too. Both would have. Both are wildly opposites. talented. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, there's... And it also oh. speaks to one of my favorite things, which is, like, this era of, um, the, uh, you know, the Kelly Bundys. Mm-hmm. The dumb girl character usually being played by the smartest girl on the set. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's absolutely the case with uh, both Amanda and uh, Rachel. They're both brilliantly smart actresses who are just playing the most hilarious, specific kind of dumb. Yeah. There's... Well, but... Not but. I mean, that's that's it, right? There's no room for dumb people in comedy. You, you need to be smart <laughs> to play this stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's like going from high school to college. You immediately realize that, oh, there are people who have been doing this at a higher level than I've ever even reached, and I'm going to back away quickly and do something else. Right. Um, it's, it's a... Like, as a comic engine, the plot is simple and perfect, but it's what people do with those parts and how they respond. Like, everybody... Yeah, everybody is just stepping up. Uh, but I would argue that it's not as simple as a lot of other films. I think why I got so turned on by it is Tina Fey did this brilliant job of spinning it in a, in a way that feels completely fresh. Hmm. Like, I feel like we all have seen a high school movie where I'm like, oh, I can predict everything. And that movie just continued to surprise me. Yeah. Even now I watch it, I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot that bus hits her. <laughs> you know, like there's just constant and the quotes. It is one of the most quotable movies on the planet. Yeah. And again, I think that's the, what happens when a screenwriter has like total free reign. Yeah. You just you can come up with your idealized sentences, your perfect moments. I, I can only imagine that Faye spent months rewriting it, just working over every single line, punching it up. Right, because uh, it doesn't strike me as an. Im- I mean, outside of the adults, the kids don't strike me as an improv savvy group. Mm, well, smart actresses. But it felt to me like it was all pretty scripted. Yeah, there's heavy structure yeah. in place. So there isn't even room to kind of riff. No, because they're called back. All the jokes are called back. Yeah. And right. you feel, and, and that's the other thing too, like um, 
40-Year-Old Virgin is a couple of years away, there isn't that, the Apatow influence hasn't started yet. So what you're seeing is sort of the last gasp of the structured studio comedy. Right. Well, there was improv. I mean, look, what my father did was a career of lots of improv. Sure. But it was structured within, I mean, you know, Ghostbusters has amazing moments that are built into a giant machine. Right. right? Like, so you're constantly aware that the scene doesn't get to ramble. There's, yes. Like, they kept the best take. Yes. But, and in Mean Girls, I'm sure there's some movement, yeah, as you say, in the adults, but yeah, they kept the best takes, totally. but they're still going to the script. There's, there's no, there's like, there's no fat on it. It's, what yeah. is it, 97 minutes instead of 125? That's right. You it's tight as hell. Run. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody in it is just, I keep saying this because I'm, I'm delighted by the performances. I watched it again and it's just like, oh, this is so much fun. It's so much fun. It's a party. It's a total party. Yeah. Uh, There was a live read a couple of years ago at the Review Cinema. Chandler Levac does the feminist live reads. Yeah. And she did Mean Girls and it went like a shot. It was just one of those things where you're so aware of how everybody is, everybody reading these lines is having a great time, but there's no... Patience. It's like I want to get to the next one. I'm having so much fun because there's so many. It's just so quotable. Yeah, it is, and I'm not even going to start trying it because I'll end up doing voices, and that's embarrassing for both of us. But now I have to hear it. No, no, it's just um, it's the stop. Stop trying to make what happen, Gretchen. No, it's the what is it? Wednesdays we wear pink. You can do the voice thing. That's good. I can't. I don't have. No, that was perfect. I don't have inflection. And Donahue uh, did the intro with me for a different Mean Girl screening. Yes, and she killed it. And I, I am not allowed to do that. You've been outlawed? Oh, totally. She, she just she bested me so easily. Uh, friend of the show. But the, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's such a pleasurable movie, right? Like the idea that you have these films that endure because they, I mean, they speak to everything. They don't speak to a moment. They speak to an attitude. So you keep coming back. Um, and it's know. full of energy, right? Like, I mean, you even think about that great Halloween beat where... Uh, she doesn't realize that you're not supposed to dress like a horrible monster for Halloween. Right. Everyone's sexy, even if it doesn't make sense. Or the music. I mean, every part of it is energized. That Missy Elliott track when we first meet That's Regina right. King is so alive. I remember sitting on the edge of my seat when that beat happened. <laughs> I don't think I can listen to that song without going right there in my head. Her being carried in. Yeah. It is. It's a. It's such a. Oh, I'm just going back to construction again, right? Like the pieces of it yeah. are so, are so perfectly, yeah. Machine tooled is the wrong word because that sounds like they're anonymous and and clunky. Yeah, right. But, it just but I know what you mean. Everything, every gear is going at the right. Right. It's a full factory. Everything uh, benefits itself. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Edgar Wright once said that every like to get the tone right in Scott Pilgrim was like getting every single person to pull on a rope with the exact same tension. Oh my God, that's so well said. Oh, genius and stuff, but. But that's what this is. This yeah. is the sense that everyone knows exactly how it's going to work, even before they got on the set. Right. So, again, like Mark Waters, this is the guy who made The House of Yes, yeah. which is not in any way preparation for this. No, he's hit or miss. Yeah. He's hit or miss, but this one was a complete hit. Yeah. So you saw it. What, what was your first experience of it? My first time watching it, God, what was it? It was in the theaters. Like I said, I remember... Because the 2000s was, I was right out of high school, and I just remember I was only seeing male-dominated movies, and I was loving them. Okay. But it was the, it was the first time I saw a female movie where it felt, it felt like it kind of bit back. It felt like it had some edge. It was really smart the way it was made. And I remember, I think what really stuck with me is Tina Fey, and thinking, okay, so... I can be more than a caricature on SNL. I can be more than uh, the young wife to a Kevin James type character. Right. It gave me all this hope that 
that a woman could take a screenplay like that and make it feel, make it, you know, make it play as hard as the boys. Yeah, it does have that. It definitely has a, a woman's sensibility behind the camera, even though it's directed by a guy. The- See, I, I guess I would disagree with you. I, I, it was the first time I saw a movie where it didn't feel, because I've certainly seen uh, chick flicks, for lack of a better phrase, right. and enjoying them, loving them. But this was this felt genderless to me. Even though it's about young girls, it felt like it had the, the wit and the edge of when I was with, because I've been in a bunch of improv groups that were male-dominated, and it felt like it had, not to say that male is faster than female, because... I definitely disagree with that, but it was the first time I saw something that felt genderless. Okay, I guess my my take is that it's um, it understands the female relationships a lot better than most movies of its kind do, and it doesn't it doesn't immediately go to cattiness, and it doesn't go to the the textbook female rivalry stuff right. that every other male directed high school movie ever did. <laughs> totally right. It's there. The burn book is is a threat. It's not immediately used. It's something that. It, like it's a MacGuffin, it's there for the entire movie, so it can be used. Yes, but it's not. You know, people don't slam each other over the head with it as a threat. It's just it sort of floats there, as opposed to, you know, in a in a guy's high school movie, it would be two jocks fighting in the first scene. Yes, it would be a confrontation, and instead, it's the simmering sense of rivalry that. What's going to bring this woman down? But what, but what's going to trigger her response too? Like it's it's aware that it isn't just going to be about humiliating one person. It's going to be a chain reaction, right? And that actions have consequences beyond the initial confrontation. And that I like that seems to be something that Tina Fey deals with over and over again in her work, hmm. even in stuff like um, Sisters, the the movie she made with um, right with Amy Poehler, Poehler. Yeah. a couple of years ago. There is just this sense of continuity in action. Like she thinks stuff through in a way that a lot of like John Hughes didn't didn't do that. Everything right. Ferris Bueller is a, is beloved, but it's a film about instant gratification. Yeah, and everything in Mean Girls is a simmer. Yes, and that that struck me in a really interesting way that I didn't. I don't think I'd seen a high school movie that worked like that before. I don't think right. I'd seen a comedy other than maybe some of Elaine May stuff, which is always about older characters. Yeah. So it it really pushed at me while I was watching. It's like I don't. I know this structure, I know this world, but I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And that was fantastic. That never happens. Right. And even in Clueless, you're dealing with Emma. Like, you're dealing with the Jane Austen text. Totally predictable and delightful. Well, structured, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant in its, in, in its subversion of what Jane Austen was doing and what it also incorporates from her stuff. Right. But it is beholden, right? Like, Mean Girls really does did feel like something new. Yeah. And... Boy, that was good. I, I love it when that happens. It never happens. No, when you felt it, right? I, I remember even as a, a much younger girl watching it and being like, it just blew the lid open to me on what what selfishly I thought I could do with my career. Okay. Yeah. But that's those transformative moments. Those are fantastic. I oh my mean, god! So huge. Were you like? Where did you go after that? Were you inspired to kind of? When you say that, what did what happened? I, I probably was highly intimidated. <laughs> thought I will never amount to that. Tina Fey is a genius, and I should go home and uh, make nachos in the microwave. Sure. sure. Um, but also my response. It's it's a great way to live your life. <laughs> I'll do it today for sure. Um, but no, I, I think it. I mean, it it wasn't as like. Uh, I don't think it was as formulaic as, oh, I went and I did this and did that. I always kind of knew I was going to get into sketch comedy. So Tina Fey was someone I'd always aspired to. And uh, her, she and I, I've always really loved Maya Rudolph. And I remember I remember being like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try for SNL, which I did. And I remember because of the Groundlings in Los Angeles that I, I got the, 
the, the opportunity to start writing. And that sort of led to, because I never thought I was going to be a writer. I didn't think I was smart enough to. Um, I still don't think I'm smart <laughs> enough to. But I remember getting that opportunity to write sketches because it's so slapback, because you have this opportunity, unlike a screenplay where sometimes like, you're like, you know, this might fail, but I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. And, and then you get to act three and you realize, I'm, I'm going to fail. Sketches, you have this really short-term availability, this opportunity to go, okay, what about this? What about a character like this? And whether you go high concept or low concept, you know, it's really low stakes. Yeah. And um, so th- that opened up my whole world. Okay. And I think that's where I... So a movie like Mean Girls pushed me to do sketch comedy. And from there, I think the organic probably development was that I started writing. Okay. Yeah. And when did you get the... I mean, when did you get to the point where you felt comfortable performing? Or was that also part of it? That was since I was really little. Okay. Getting a laugh was very... It was genetic, I guess, for me. I, I, the, I remember my first laugh as a little girl. At my, my parents were having a dinner party. And I came out in just my underwear. I was like a tiny little, little girl. Right. And I started doing like a stupid dance... And my father was humiliated and my mother could not stop laughing, which triggered everyone else to start laughing. And I remember being like, mm-hmm, yeah, I want more of this. <laughs> and so the performance element, I still do similar things like that at my parents' dinner parties. Sure. Well, you know, um, if it works. It doesn't get laughs, though. A lot of shame looks, particularly from my, parent, my father still. Right. Uh, but yeah, the wanting to get a laugh hasn't gone away. But the writing, you know, it, I'm continuing to develop that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's always fascinating to watch someone as a writer performer, because at some point, early on, you must have known what you could do, like you could what you felt comfortable writing and perform, like that that nexus, yep. uh, which which Faye has and which Puller has. Like, there are people who occupy a tiny space, but I've been really interested in seeing what you're doing because you you're swerving. You're not like you haven't settled yet, which is really interesting. There's potential to go in any direction. Yeah, there's. Huge potential to just have a whole street fire, right? The car well, just explode. If that's what you want, bodies to play everywhere. For. No, I mean, I'm like Lindsay Lohan in the future. No, right no, here. no. You're <laughs> way past that point at this point. Thank you, old. That, <clears throat> that may have come out wrong. I understand. I understand. No, but I'm thinking it's like no, you're completely irredeemable train wreck now. Yes. No. Yes. Well, no, but the you know if the stuff um, uh, FXX is the default channel in here, and it's always something will pop up constantly yeah. whenever we turn off the Blu-ray player. And you showed up a couple of days ago and it's like, oh, that's right. It's the same person. Yeah. That, that's not that's not what you're doing now, but you could go back to it. There's room is, is what I mean. Oh, totally. Look, in, in my writer's room, you know, they've all been on several shows, yeah. right? They've been writing forever. Working Moms is my first show as a writer, but I've been acting for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, not wonderfully successfully, but I've had a few opportunities as a recurring character to sort of develop and at least discover what they're doing on sets and see the structure of it all. Um, but as a writer, it, you know, even in season two, I think, I think where I feel the most comfort is improv. Okay. The improv animal side of my brain doesn't get exhausted. You know, you were saying earlier, there's this vortex, right? Where you can sort of watch someone and you know where their strengths are. Yeah. Like my husband and I always say, you got to find out what doesn't exhaust you, and that's probably what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Um, you pray that you're also good at that thing. Yeah. But improv for me, I could do at any hour of the day and pretty much run it. Um, I, like I, it's something I feel very comfortable in that lane, and I I guess the natural 
evolution from that was writing to me because it is just new choicing. The game, well, it's new choice in America. It has a different name here in Canada, but it's that ability to go, okay, but what if this, what if this line, what if this line? So that's, that's an improv game for me. Okay. Yeah. So how do you bring that to a structured show, like a sitcom? How do you, how do you? Training, right? I mean, you, you zap, it's just, there's a learning curve. I think what was the most exciting about working with CBC at this particular juncture and in, in their path mm-hmm. was that it's not a traditional sitcom. Like I didn't even put act breaks in a single script of season oh, one. Cool. Yeah. It was really, it was wild because I remember our, our writers kept being like, okay, but where do you want to see? And I was like, let's not do it. Well, let's not do it. Let's just write the best possible, you know, 29 to 32 pages we can. And uh, I mean, there's acts, there's clearly a first, second and third act, but it doesn't have the same, hard out and what was really cool is you know the cbc does these tests where they you sit down in this big room and they tell you at what point people are most likely to change the channel what <laughs> character they're attracted to yeah oh and it's God. a lot of fun when you're the star of it that must be but, so depressing like, oh it's for, totally depressing any creative endeavor notes are bad but ge- right. generally it was also really exciting though because you never know if what turns you on is what turns others on sure and when you're continually told to be afraid, which is what all network structure, American, Canadian, etc. are, which is you can't do nudity, you can't show this, you can't show women masturbating, moms are boring, moms are sad, and all the things that you're constantly having to swallow. Um, moms are boring unless a poo-poo diaper is flying at the wall and exploding, sure. unless it's super broad or super depressing after school special. When I started to see that people were tuning in and staying in at the moments that I thought were electric, that was awesome. That was anything but depressing. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, and the second season of any, like, uh, Kim's Convenience got sharper and tighter this year because yeah. they figured out what everyone could do and they leaned into it. Yes. So while I haven't seen the second season of, of Working Moms, I am I know a couple of people uh, outside of, of the, or I know a couple of people in the production and they're all really stoked about it. Oh, so awesome. So like, what happens? I mean, how did, what, what did you learn from the first season to the second? Yeah, I, I think, as, uh, I mean, hopefully Kim's Not- Convenience is such a strong show, but... Similarly, where you know you, you figure out on a writing side um, which storylines have the most potential, how much you need a good villain, because mm. <laughs> sometimes we just want to reward the characters we love so much, and it's you know we we I think we upped our villainry. Um, we know what actor can do what. Okay. So you know feeding them more and upping that. Um, yeah. It, I, I think you, you you figure out what works and what doesn't work. That's not to say there's not going to be flaws in the second season. We might find out that the audience is like, too much of this Kate character. Enough! And then, you know, season three will just kill Kate in a, in a street fire. <laughs> it's true. You always have the opportunity. It's true. Bus, <laughs> Regina George. I was going to say, is there anything from... And, and this, this does bring us to the final question of the podcast, which is, you know, is there anything of Mean Girls that you have borrowed or, or stolen or lifted or just absorbed into your own creative DNA, buses and otherwise? Um, no specific story steals, although I should. It's so effing good. <laughs> um, but in general, you know, the, I was definitely affected as far as takeaways from that movie about the witty repartee that can happen, not just between girl and girl, but, you know, girl, student and teacher, adult. I love the idea that just the that that really, really fast back and forth that doesn't feel... Like we're in a, you know, some strange talking head movie. Everyone feels grounded in reality. Even mm-hmm. though a lot of them are playing sketch characters. Like even Amy Poehler being like, but I'm not that kind of mom. I'm a cool mom. I'm a really cool mom. Yeah. Like the way she plays it, I feel like I'm never exhausted by her. 
Yeah, she would be a fantastic recurring character. I mean, they did make a sequel in which no one came back. Yeah. And rightly so, because you shouldn't try. How do you? But, yeah, if, if this was a sitcom, because everything could be turned into a sitcom, I could sort of see her being the character I'm happiest to see. But then I'm always happy to see Amy Poehler, period. So it doesn't really Yeah, but it'd be right? storyline where we follow her to, like... Her, you know, breast augmentation checkup. Yeah, give or her like, one episode. Where does she... she show the dog? Is it a show dog, you know? <laughs> or her attempting to do that Christmas dance she does for the Merry Christmas Santa. Oh, that's right, I forgot. But for her husband or on a date. It's a I'd Christmas watch any movie. of those storylines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, webisodes. Why not? Let's do this. Are we making a web series? I, don't, I mean, I think she's available. She's so available. But now that's what it would be, right? Like, you would, she wouldn't, she maybe wouldn't fit into the main feed of the show, but you'd follow her around for three minutes, and whatever that actor does is going to be fun, so... So they'll just make it part of the digital feed. Yeah, exactly. Yes. God, I'm thinking in multi-platform now. I'm, that's, that's a good sign. Oh, no. And you're not exhausted, right? You I, should do this for a living. I am a little. I am a little. <laughs> I am. I want a nap. <laughs> My thanks to Catherine Reitman, whose Work in Moms returns for a second season tonight, Tuesday, January 9th, at 9.30 p.m. on CBC. You can also find the show online at cbc.ca slash workinmoms, all one word, no G in workin. Thanks also to Alina Diviner. She knows what she did. You can find Catherine on Twitter at writekatu, R-E-I-T-C-A-T-O-U, all one word, and you can find Mean Girls on Blu-ray and DVD from Paramount Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. Do not bother with Mean Girls 2. It will only make you sad. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. <laughs>